This episode of the Bendy Bodies podcast is brought to you by Bowerfine Premium Braces and Supports. Bowerfine promotes mobility and activity through pain relief and improved joint control. Welcome to Bendy Bodies. This is your host, Dr. Linda Bluestein, and I am so excited to bring you an interview today with my guest co-host, Jennifer Milner, ballet coach and certified Pilates trainer specializing in athletes, dancers, and post-injury recoveries. Jennifer mentored under the dance medicine pioneer Marika Mulner and worked for Westside Dance Physical Therapy, the official physical therapist for the New York City Ballet and the School of American Ballet. She has trained a wide variety of clients, including Oscar winners, Olympic medalists, and dancers from New York City Ballet, the Kirov Ballet, ABT, San Francisco Ballet, Royal Ballet, and more. Jennifer is an invited speaker at international conferences and has vast experience working with pre-professional and professional dancers from all over the country. Her ability to move between ballet studios and cross-training venues, addressing biomechanical imbalances and technique dysfunctions in a practical strength training way has made her a sought-after guest speaker for dance schools and companies. Jennifer has been a great asset to the Bendy Bodies podcast as a guest co-host for many dance-specific episodes generously sharing the knowledge she has gained from her many years of training dancers all across the spectrum of hypermobility, something she describes as a superpower and kryptonite all at once. In this episode, the tables are turned. Jennifer shares with us her unique approach to training hypermobile dancers, whose bodies she compares to a partially played Jenga game. She shares how she trains dancers to be in tune with their bodies and educates dance teachers on how to train hypermobile bodies in a healthy and efficient way. Other topics discussed include the importance of constructive rest, pacing, and the hazards of flexibility without stability. Today, the tables are turned, and I am so thrilled to be getting to interview my co-host, Jennifer Milner. And so, Jennifer, welcome to Bendy Bodies. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's great to have you on today and to hear more about how you train hypermobile dancers. Super excited to hear about this. So, um, can you start out by telling us a little bit about your background? Sure. So, I started out as a ballet dancer, like everybody else does. Um, kind of where we are, and did ballet for a while, um, had a couple of injuries that I later realized were hypermobility related, um, that pulled me out of dance off and on as a teenager to the point at which I thought, if I have a chance to be in ABT, I would keep moving forward. If I have a chance to be in not as big of a company, I just didn't want to push myself for that. Um, so it was really a choice of I was too lazy to do the work that would have to be done <laughs> to keep moving forward. So I had, you know, ballet apprenticeships, that kind of thing, um, and decided to do musical theater instead. Um, had always loved it as a kid and had always loved the singing aspect of it, um, which I wasn't super good at. But I loved musical theater dancing and all the Broadway musical movies that were out in the 50s and 60s. And so I got into that and ended up having a really nice career as a musical theater dancer and learned how to sing. And so I could do that as well. And then had a, a reasonably injury-free career um, because the older I got, the smarter I got about how I trained and how I worked and keeping myself healthy. 
and um, the maintenance aspect of it. And then just ended up having a, an injury uh, with my knee that my body just could not come back from. So I transitioned from there into teaching Pilates, which I had always done. Um, well, not always done. I had done it for about two or three years, I guess, before I got injured. I had discovered that as a method of cross-training and maintenance and really enjoyed it. And so while I was injured, I thought, well, maybe I'll try this, see how it works, <laughs> uh, trying to get my certification and, and see what it looks like. And so I got my certification and started teaching and um, just didn't look back. I was really fortunate to do my rehab for my last injury at uh, Westside Dance Physical Therapy, which is the physical therapy clinic for New York City Ballet and School of American Ballet. And um, the owner there, Marika Molnar, who's the mother of dance medicine, um, watched me as a Pilates teacher and offered me a job working for Westside Dance. So I ended up working for them and working for New York City Ballet dancers and SAB and dancers from all across the world, Royal Ballet, Kirov, um, American Ballet Theater, and then Broadway dancers, uh, international athletes and Olympic athletes. Um, and so that was just kind of what started channeling my career in a specific direction. And I realized I loved taking what I knew as a dancer and being able to apply it as a teacher, as a trainer from the other side of the table. Um, so it just kind of went from there. Wow, that's incredible. I love your description. The only thing is, having known you now for a, two and a half years, I think, um, lazy is definitely a word I would never, ever associate with you. So <laughs> we all, when we describe ourselves, tend to be a little, uh, as dancers especially, right? Right. That's yeah, true. No, that's true. I would... Well, and, and, and I should say, I think we all hit that point. Um, after you've had an injury, you know, I missed my, most of my... Um, being around age 50 to 69, I missed most of that year with an injury. And that's a really crucial year to move forward um, sure. as a dancer and to try to get into that professional level. And I was, um, I was at Pittsburgh Ballet Theater as an apprentice and they were very kind. Um, or I was home for the years in between. I, I went back to them and I could tell they were very kind and encouraging, but still I wasn't at the level that they had hoped that I would be at. And for me, that was sort of that idea of, okay, well, I either need to double down or I need to find a way to keep dancing that I love. And I love musical theater. So it was not a sacrifice at all to go into that. And I just didn't have that drive to push myself so hard to get to where I needed to be as a ballet dancer. So I, I recognize that about myself, but you're right. It's not laziness. Sure. It's not, it's definitely not laziness. Um, it's, it's making an educated choice and really looking at your options. And, and that's important, right? I mean, that's something that you obviously um, talk with dancers about all the time. And it's wonderful that you are able to guide them and, and really, um, you know, use your experiences in this way. And hypermobility specifically, how did you, you're known as like the hypermobility guru. And uh, <laughs> how did you specifically get so fascinated with hypermobility? Well, I am hypermobile and I'm somewhere on the hypermobility spectrum disorder spectrum, you know, depending on how it's defined, either I'm in the HSD category or the hypermobility Ehlers-Danlos syndrome category. So it's somewhere around there. Um, but I'm not one of those super flexible people. So I never thought of myself as, you know, crazy hypermobile girl, but I was the one that if you pull on my hands, my wrists subluxate and my shoulders come out of the socket all the time. 
and my hips do weird things. And I've just always had these weird issues that I know you see all the time that by themselves just seem kind of random, but then they start to stack up and add up. And you're like, huh, well, I do also have this and I do also have that. So as I was going through my physical um, journey as a Pilates trainer, um, I was learning more about my body and what to do with it. And then I was also working with dancers, trying to bring them back from a rehab side. And I saw the ones who were classically defined as hypermobile just had different issues than I did. But I kind of went, oh, you know, no big deal. And then I moved back from New York to Dallas and switched from professional dancers at the very high end of the spectrum to pre-professional dancers. And when I moved back to Dallas and started working with the teen dancer, I saw so much more hypermobility and so much more um, towards that hypermobility spectrum disorder end of it. And I was like, where has this been all the time? You know, and I gradually realized it's because it, it's kind of weeds itself out. Um, so I see so many more in the pre-professional level. And that got me really interested in how can I help these kids and how can I dig deeper? And I had dancers come to me who said, I've been diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And I'm like, huh, okay. And then another one six months later, and I'm like, wow, okay. So it's so much more prevalent, as you know, <laughs> in the younger dancers, because it does tend to contribute to early career endings. Um, and it made me angry. <laughs> on behalf of these dancers. And it made me angry enough to want to um, do something about it. So I just, I love puzzles and I always have, and I love problem solving and thought, let's figure this out. Let's, let's dive into this. And I can't solve it. I can't cure it. That's not within my scope. And I don't have the knowledge to do that. But what I can do is say, well, here's where you are. Let's take where you are and make it better. And so that's been a passion of mine is to help these dancers who are 12, 14, 16 years old, um, survive through this time period and try to have a career. And then to have the older dancer, older, you know, 20, right, <laughs> 20 right. or 24, coming to right. me and saying, everything hurts and nobody can help me. And I'm like, oh, well, and being able to help them. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I, I came from, was just seeing that need and wanting to help them uh, the way I didn't have a chance until I was older. Sure. And can you go into more detail about what you observe in your hypermobile dancers? What do you, you'll go into a little more detail about what you're actually seeing. Sure. Well, one of the big things is spatial awareness. <laughs> um, if dancers, if their parents say, you know, she's so clumsy and kind of laugh that off. I'm like, oh, okay. I'll put that down in my box as one possibility. Um, hypermobile dancers really don't always know where they are in space. Um, they, they can't, and, and I'm speaking in huge generalities. One mm -hmm. of the things about hypermobility, as you know, is that it's not one size fits all. Um, right. But in general, I see them, they have a huge difficulty sort of discerning where they are in space. And they think their arm is straight. And it is not. It is beyond straight. And so they have to learn the difference between a straight line and end range of motion for them. And those things might feel really different. Um, there was a study that came out, I don't know, 15 years ago, and I can't even remember where I saw it. Um, looking at hypermobile versus non-hypermobile people and what, how smart their joints were, basically. And they would have a hypermobile person take their arm out to the side and move the arm from front to back and just stop straight out to the side. And then they would have them do it with their eyes closed. And they compared them to non-hypermobile people. And non-hypermobile people would stop within, I think they said, about 10 degrees 
of straight out to the side. And hypermobile people, the joint range is like 40 degrees. Like they could wow. be as much as 40 degrees off and facing out to the side. And they just, they were like, ah, I think this is right because they right. can't trust what their body feels, you know? So spatial awareness is a big part of it. Um, what I call um, short attention span of the body. <laughs> it's like the body has ADHD and can't really, um, can't really focus and pay attention. It's like you want to, you know, smack your hands and go, hey, 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 muscles, pay attention to me. You know, it may make them, it may make it harder for them to understand choreography or not understand, but to get it and to really mm -hmm. own it and keep it in their bodies. And, and it'll feel like we're going over the same ground every week. Like I have taught it to them and I have explained it to them and they have gotten it and they go away and a week later, their body's like, you never told me this. <laughs> so, so it can be really slow going with them. That whole idea of, um, of being able to grasp a concept within your body and really hold on to it, especially the small muscles, the foot intrinsics, the local stabilizers, the really small stuff. That's really hard. Um, also, I noticed with hypermobile dancers that when I start working with them, I say it's like um, their body is a Jenga game that is like partially in progress already. So Jenga is where you stack the different, you know, perpendicular pieces to each other and you start removing those pieces and I'll look at them and from some angles, their body looks strong and ready and can do anything. But then you start looking at it from a little bit different angle and you're like, wow, there's a big hole here and there's a big hole here. And these things are missing. And if I try to remove this one piece, which I know isn't good for them, like if they overuse their big back muscles, if I try to remove that, everything's going to come crashing down. So that piece is there for a reason, because it's needed, because something else isn't working. So I have to move really carefully and slowly with them to make sure I don't, I don't take everything apart without having a support system ready to come online for them. And I see that much more in hypermobile dancers than in non-hypermobile dancers. And then I also see, um, again, just my own experience, but I see in hypermobile dancers a higher incidence of anxiety, um, OCD, uh, depression. Um, I see a higher incidence of uh, perfectionism and also being diagnosed as having attention deficit disorder. Um, so I see a lot more of that, and those patterns can also feed easily into self-harm, disordered eating, um, eating disorders, things that can come along as ways to try to control that. So when I see that in them, um, I know that it's time to refer out, <laughs> and I, I have a really great referral system that I use because of that as well. But I do tend to see a higher incidence of those types of issues um, in dancers with hypermobility, and sometimes I see, um, because a lot of hypermobile dancers, extremely hypermobile, right? We're talking the bigger end of the scale and not just a flexible thumb or something. Um, they can be living with a low level of pain all the time. And that, that level of pain all the time is emotionally draining. And then those days when it's gone, if for whatever reason it's turned off, all of a sudden you're like, wow, this is what people feel like on a regular, this is amazing. I could do so much. Um, and you don't realize it until it's gone for some reason, but living with that low level of pain can increase your anxiety, your worries, your um, sleep issues. Um, so I see a much higher incidence of those in, in dancers with hypermobility as well. That's fascinating. And I love your description about the Jenga game because I've never heard anyone describe hypermobility 
in that way and working with a hypermobile body in that way. So I think that's really a great description because that's a great visual and a lot of us have played that game. So <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Well, it's, you know, hypermobile dancers are often so lovely to look at that we forget, hey, there's a lot going on in them. And right. we need to not just take that, that structural beauty for granted. We need to look at, at, the, at the issues that are going on inside. Right, right. And that there could be some, um, some compensations going on that, you know, maybe they're getting away with it now, or maybe they're able to do the way they're doing things now, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be able to continue to do it that way. And so really looking at their movement patterns and all that is, you know, working with somebody like yourself who really is an expert in this really is important. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what are your objectives in working with hypermobile dancers and, and how do you usually, you know, solve the, how do you achieve those objectives? Um, well, first of all, I want to give them some awareness, right? I want them to start being able to feeling where they are and where their joints are in space. Um, that is training them in closed chain and, and doing a variety of different issues, um, different exercises and approaches to them. But, but I really want to give them a sense of where they are in space. I want to help them feel where they are in space. I also want to give them strength. And giving them strength is difficult. Um, a lot of times with my classic hypermobile dancers, the teachers will say, no matter what we do, she just doesn't build muscle. And there's that certain look to a certain type of hypermobile dancer that you can see those muscles just won't, you know, bulk up. And that's a lot of times because of a collagen issue. And trying to build their strength can be really difficult um, in a healthy way. So I need to teach them that it's not going to be picking up a 50-pound barbell. It's going to be picking up a five-pound barbell and doing it correctly enough times that you feel it, but not so many times that you start to get tendinopathies from it. Right. <laughs> it's that fine line of learning mm -hmm. how to build strength. Um, so working on building strength and then also working on their balance is a huge one. They just don't have that proprioceptive awareness that other dancers do, and that comes with their awareness of where they are in space. So training their balance um, is, is really, really important as well. And, and I will use like closed chain as, versus rather than open chain, you know, a push-up is closed chain and uh, a bicep curl is open chain. So I would rather do closed chain, which will give more information to more joints. Um, mm -hmm. I would, I'll use props. So squeezing a ball or using a small yoga block or something that they can feel that tells their body where they are in space, um, changing their position to gravity. So having them do plies lying down so that they're going through the same pattern, but in a different relationship to gravity. So different muscles are working. So her body can't uh, make assumptions and use their old habits. So mm. those are the main, those are the main things that I try to do for, for hypermobile dancers. That's fantastic. I, I lo love that idea about changing the, the relationship because, right, we get into those patterns. So I know that you have, of course, um, quite a few hypermobile dancers, but you also have some non-hypermobile dancers as well. Could you go into a little bit more detail about how you train the hypermobile dancers differently than the non-hypermobile ones? Sure. So every dancer is different, and I will tailor each workout to um, what the individual dancer needs at that moment. Um, but looking at the big picture of them, uh, in general, I'll move slower. 
with a hypermobile dancer. Um, they're experts at problem solving just because they've had to be their whole lives at figuring out how to make their wonky bodies do what we're asking it to do. And sometimes, most of the time, their problem solving isn't necessarily healthy. It may be the shortcut or the best way for their body with the strength that they have, but it's not the healthiest way to do it. So I have to retrain some habits that are pretty ingrained. Um, the work that we do at the start can seem really boring and really tedious, especially to dancers who are hypermobile and who can't tell where they are in space. And it just feels like they're getting no input whatsoever when we're doing really small work and their body's like, I don't know. I don't know. I can't tell. Is this right? Is this wrong? Um, but I try to give themselves that they can do by themselves right off because I want them to go home and have homework. I want them to do it daily to try to get it into that short attention span body. And so I want to give them small stuff that they can take home and do. Usually dancers are frustrated enough with where they are that they will do it rather than be like, yeah, yeah. And then never do it. Right. And I can tell who does it and who doesn't do it. Um, but, but it takes a while for those basics to get in. So I ask them to hang in with me just for like a month. And then we can start to move them. But it still takes a long time to, to push them harder. Just because as soon as I give them something a little bit harder than they can do, they'll reach for it. They'll find their own shortcut and they'll do it. And they'll be like, yes. And I'm like, no. So, <laughs> so it's a really long process. Um, and I really appreciate that my hypermobile dancers and their parents are in it for the long haul. Uh, I have one dancer that I've worked with since she was 11 and a half or 12, somewhere around there. And she is now um, going to be 16 soon. And it has taken us four years just to get to the point where she can stand on one leg and balance with her eyes closed for 30 seconds, which wow. for me is, is a baseline for my pre-professional dancers. They should be able to stand on one leg and balance with their eyes closed for 30 seconds. Um, at the same time, she's beautiful on stage and she does these amazingly difficult things on stage, but she can't do something as basic as that. And she just got that this school year. Wow. And when she did, I just about started crying. I think I actually did start crying because Aww. it takes so long for it to get to that point. And it feels to them very frustrating and very slow. And we, we do fun stuff. We, we move, you know, it's not that we don't move, but it can feel like they're not making progress. So it's really mm -hmm. hard to get them to hang in there. But in general, I move with them slower. Um, and then I want to educate them about how to pace themselves that it's not all about push, 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 just get stronger, just get stronger. It's educating them what it feels like in class when they're starting to do too much, what it feels like for their school year, what it feels like for their calendar year, for their company, um, when they're doing too much, when they need to maybe sit out a class, when they need to sit out jumps, when they need to go to their director and say, hey, can I have a rehearsal day off because I can feel this starting. And training them what it feels like to hold back so that they have a longer career is really key. And mm -hmm. my best dancers will look at their schedule. Um, you know, we sit down and look at it a few times a year and say, here's what's happening. Here's the arcs. What can we do? And my best dancers will sit down and look at their schedule and go, you know what? I am tired. Sometime this next week, I need to take a day off. And they recognize that now and they don't push themselves through it. And that makes me super happy. Um, I have a dancer who trains with me twice a week and she's hypermobile. And we have worked really hard to get her really flexible back under control. And she's such a smart dancer now. She will say, you know, I think 
I want to come in and work with you, but I want to do just release work. Or I think I need to take a day off from dance tomorrow and I'm going to move this around. And she's 16, but she's taking ownership of her career and recognizing what she needs to do to stay healthy. So that's, that's something that I really try to instill in my hypermobile dancers. Wow. So, so you're really able to take this uh, lack of body awareness, although it is funny because I think emotionally, a lot, of, a lot of people that have hypermobility, hypermobility disorders have increased emo, um, emotional sensitivity. We kind of are aware of what's going on in a room or, you know, um, yeah. So it's kind of an, inter- it's, it's a very fascinating thing, but yes, in terms of awareness of the body, but you're really finding that with practice, they really are able to make some very significant improvements with that. Yes, for sure. And it's just training them to listen inward rather than be Mm -hmm. so focused listening outward. You know, like you said, so many hypermobile people are really good at reading a room. And if they can turn that attention to reading themselves, then they'll be like, oh, and even my, even my dancers, like I have a dancer who is um, a competition dancer and she's incredible and she is going to have a huge career, but she has consistent issues because she pushes herself too far. But now she's at the point, she's 15, she's at the point where she realizes she'll come to talk to me and she can barely move. And I'll say, what's going on? She'll go, I did too much. I did this, this, and this, and I knew it was happening and I knew I shouldn't, but I just didn't want to hold back and I did too much. So at least she recognizes that and she knows she's making a choice when she's going into it, right? And eventually she'll get to the point where she recognizes it and make the choice before she does it. Um, so that, yeah, that's a huge part is that they can recognize that and make choices. And you're installing or, or helping them install the wisdom in their, their minds and in their bodies at a, at a stage where it, it is um, life-changing for them to be able to really get more out of their, their dancing and have a better quality of life. So it's amazing the, the work that you're doing with these. I started to say kids. I, most of, are you working mostly with pre-professionals at this point or kind of a mix? Yes, it's mostly pre-professionals. I'd say it's about 70% pre-professionals and then 30% okay. professionals. Yeah. Okay. But training them, it, my, some of my proudest moments are my dancers who go off to be an apprentice in Miami city or a like, ballet dancer with Pacific Northwest ballet. And to hear them tell me stories about advocating for themselves, like someone wow. in a position of authority will tell them maybe they should diet and they'll say, no, no, I feel my body and this is how I do it. Or someone will say, yes, you need to come to another rehearsal. And they say, okay, what can we cut from the rest of the week then? Because physically I can't do more. And, and that they have that courage to stand up for themselves and to move forward with that way. That's, if that's my only legacy, that makes me super happy. Oh, that's amazing. That's fantastic. And, and we know that dance teachers play a pivotal role in dancers' lives. Um, what do you wish dance teachers knew about hypermobility? Well, um, <laughs> first and foremost, <laughs> the pain is real. <laughs> uh, it's, I know it's hard with, with children and preteens and teenagers to say, oh, you're just being a baby, or it's, it's hard to tell where that reality line is. Um, with people with hypermobility, it's, it's, I've never seen them faking it, and I've never seen them overplaying it. I've always seen them underplaying it because they're just so used to pain. Um, So they're not being a diva. They're not being a prima donna. They really do need to sit down. They really can't dance anymore. 
um, that ankle really does hurt. And telling them to push through it is not going to be helpful. Working with them to figure out what they're doing wrong that makes their ankle hurt, that would be great. Getting them in to see someone who can help them with it, that would be awesome. But the pain is super real. And um, so is the fatigue. So I have had dancers who have danced with um, EDS and with POTS. And they didn't realize they had POTS for a couple of years and they were dancing with it. And I was like, have you thought about, <laughs> you know, but, but before they had gotten diagnosed with it, they would just hit a point running snow for Nutcracker where they just couldn't do it again. And I said, oh. you have to tell your director, I cannot do it again. And you would see the blood pooling in their feet and you would see every, you know, and they would, they would faint doing port bras forward in ballet class. Oh. Um, so I, I want those teachers to know it's true. It's not just that they're deconditioned, that they don't have good aerobic strength. That might be part of it, but there may be another reason. There are really common comorbidities that go with hypermobility and that fatigue is real and it's going to hit them and it's not going to be helpful to try to push them past that. Um, also with dancers with hypermobility, you have to strengthen them before you can move them. And um, flexibility without stability is, is just a recipe for danger. And honestly, I just, I don't find it that interesting to watch. I don't enjoy watching that super hypermobility being thrown all around the stage if it's not coming from a position of strength. If I don't see a grounding and a strength in that standing leg and the support of their trunk, it's not interesting for me to see. So if you have someone that's super flexible and has the archy feet and the crazy back and the crazy legs and hips, that's great. Don't stick them out front and make them do a bird of paradise or a scorpion at the end of every number. Um, teach them how to hold themselves, give themselves that strength in a smaller range of motion, and they can gradually increase that range of motion. I'm not advocating that they don't use their flexibility, but they have to have that strength before they can use their flexibility. So, and then speaking of flexibility, hypermobility doesn't always look like a Gumby doll. Um, like I said with myself, I'm hypermobile, but I didn't have a crazy back. I had decent extension, but it wasn't super awesome. Uh, I have a dancer who is hypermobile and somewhere on the HSD spectrum, but she has a terrible arabesque because she has so much tightness through her trunk from other parts mm. of her body being super loose. She, her shoulders pop out of the socket all the time. Her ankles subluxate, her wrists subluxate, like all over her body. But she mm. doesn't have a crazy high arabesque or back bend. So teachers aren't like, oh, she's not hypermobile. So it doesn't always look like what you think it looks like. Um, so when they say so-and-so has told me I have this, set aside your preconceived notions and kind of dive with them into it and say, well, who told you this? What's the criteria for it? How can I help? And that's a great place to start from. Um, and then you're going to have to be the one to hold them back. <sighs> if you have someone who is hypermobile and super flexible, you as a dance teacher have to be the one that don't put those crazy moves in the choreography, that don't let guest choreographers do that, um, that don't let um, the dancer themselves do too much of it. They run into the studio between classes and try to film themselves doing all this crazy stuff. Um, don't, don't reward that, which sounds terrible because when it looks cool on social media, of course you want to repost it and you want to get more likes, but um, teaching them their boundaries and just because you can doesn't mean you should, is going to be so right. helpful for them to have a long career and to not 
not get injured. I've had dancers have their shoulders dislocated because a guest choreographer, you know, swings them by their arms and pulls them completely out of the socket. And the teacher's like, oh, I knew she was flexible, but, you know, and I'm not saying that was the teacher's fault, but knowing how to advocate for that dancer so that she can grow up advocating for herself and giving them that. And then if you suspect that they're somewhere on that hypermobility disorder spectrum, um, have the resources to help them get help. Find people who specialize in your area or online now that everybody's online um, <laughs> and, and be able to pass that on to them, be able to point them towards the website and say, hey, you might want to read up on this, see if there's anything you might get that's helpful from it. You might want to get checked out. Um, having a diagnosis isn't going to change um, how you are as a dancer. It's not, you're, you can't get cured from it, but it will give you a baseline and it will help you to keep an eye on where you are and compare it to where you are in the future and make sure everything is staying healthy and strong there just because it's such a complicated issue. So I don't, I'm not saying you have to get a diagnosis, but having some sort of support out there, um, if it's somebody that can cross train with them, if it's a doctor like you and that can work with them, um, it's, a great, it's great to have that information to give to the dancers so they can get the help that they need. Absolutely. And, and speaking of healthcare professionals, um, what do you wish that healthcare professionals knew about hypermobile dancers? <laughs> um, so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, that being hypermobile is like both a superpower and it's also kryptonite. It's like the coolest thing about you and it is the hardest thing about you, the thing that makes you the most vulnerable as well. Um, and it can be really weird in really weird areas. Um, my dentist tells me that my superpower is how quickly I metabolize anesthesia. <laughs> <laughs> he says he'd never seen it. And when I traveled on tour, he would literally write me a letter in case I had to have emergency surgery that would say, she's not a junkie. She metabolizes anesthesia really fast. You know, I promise she's not just looking for extra drugs. Um, so know that there's, there's going to be weird stuff that goes along with it. And dig into it and say, oh, that might be, that might not be. Um, it's okay not to know. It's okay for a doctor to have a, a dancer bring up, I think I might have this, or it feels like I might have this, and I looked it up. And for you to say, I don't know that much about it, but let me look into it. Um, I know we've talked in the past about how it's great to have things in small bites and to be able to go into the doctor and say, here's what I think might be going on can you look it over and can we talk about it next time I come in, right? And it's great for the doctor to say, yes, I will dig into it more. It's real, and my favorite doctors are the ones that go, I don't know, let me find out, let me dig into it rather than kind of try to fake their way through it. Um, connective tissue disorders can affect the entire body. So it's not just hypermobility and making sure that their joints are stable, but it can also be heart issues. It can be vision issues. It can be so many neurological, there's so many different aspects to it. So using it to look at the whole body um, is extremely helpful and is the best preventative that I know of for whatever issues might come up with it. Um, just because a dancer can dance 30 hours a week, that doesn't mean she might not have cardiac issues. It does, just because she can get through those things, you can't say, oh, she's thin, she's healthy, she must not have a low thyroid, <laughs> right? Or she's thin and she's healthy, so she must have a really strong heart and be great for cardio. Don't let those things put you off from running tests that you might need to run, right? Dancers will just go until you tell them to stop or until they pass out. Um, they right. don't complain, 
the way that that a lot of people will, they don't go, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. They just will keep going until you tell them that they can stop. So they, so they won't, um, they won't have that, that feedback. You won't get that feedback as an accurate guide, right? Um, and then when they're injured, they will absolutely take longer to recover than most people, especially if it's soft tissue. Um, I've had doctors, I've had nurses accuse me of intentionally, like for my shoulder surgery, intentionally trying to make the scar heal worse to make it look bad because they've been like, oh, there's no way your scar would heal like that on its own, you know, because that's what I have. That's my issue. Um, So they're going to take longer to heal. They're going to take longer to heal with connective tissue um, issues like tendinopathies. And so not sticking to that four to six weeks in your back, but sticking to what you see um, is so helpful. And then through all of this, they might need mental health support as well. I see that because it's so crazy and it's such a big burden and you really can't tell what's going on and you might be more inclined towards anxiety and OCD, um, looking at their mental health support as well is great. So that's, that's what I hope doctors would take away from it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, those, those are all really great things. And um, right, I think so often when, when we hear things that if we don't, we look for patterns, right, in medicine. And if we right. don't necessarily know right away what something is, we can tend to um, either, either directly or indirectly say, well, you know, you're, you're crazy. Or we, you know, so many dancers, right. I think, end up thinking that they're crazy, right? But the better thing to do is to say, I don't know what's going on with you. And, um, you know, do a little bit of research and or like, like you were saying, you know, if they can come in with some information and say, hey, have you thought about, you know, could this be potentially what, what applies to me? So, mm-hmm. so, well, good. And in terms of the past, like um, five, 10 or more years, have you seen any particular trends um, in, in well, dancers? Yes. I, and on the, on the good side of the trends, um, I think that hypermobility disorders and uh, issues like EDS and Marfan syndrome are becoming much more mainstream. They're becoming much more talked about. Um, 10 years ago, people in a, in a large company wouldn't even have known perhaps what EDS was. Um, and people would have said, oh, cool, pretty ballet feet <laughs> or pretty ballet right. legs and just left it at that. Um, so I think that it's become much more discussed. I think that in the past five, 10, 15 years, Um, cross training has become much more mainstream. And so the younger dancers are getting the help they need to hopefully move them um, up into a professional career. So on that level, I think it's good. And I think that it's great that it's become much more commonly understood. Um, On the not so great level, um, the tendency to have dancers do things at a younger and younger age and pushing them to do bigger and bigger tricks and fancier and harder choreography um, I, I don't think I could have done what a lot of my 14-year-olds are doing, <laughs> you know, even when I was 20 or 25 and at the peak of my dance career, I don't think I could have done some of the things that they're asked to do. And that's not even the hypermobile ones. That's just regular dancers. Regu- dance has advanced so much as an art form and has become so much more increasingly athletic. So add to that the pressure of social media And then all of a sudden we are doing all the tricks and we're doing all the fancy extension and we're doing all those things. um, And it's not helping them achieve a longer career. So I I see that trend and I see 
I've had 13 and 14 year olds quit because they're burned out. Like they're literally burned out and they say, I don't want to dance anymore. It's too much. I've worked too hard. It's exhausting. My body hurts every day when I wake up and walk down the stairs. I had a 10 year old tell me that. Wow. Uh, and to say, to see them at 14 burned out when I could understand it when you're 20 or 25, but to, to hit that point when you're not even, you know, old enough to go to a school dance, <laughs> It's sad. So that's mm-hmm. the bad side of it um, as far as what I've seen in the past few years. Sure. And I'm sure social media has a significant role in that with, you know, as you were mentioning earlier about the teachers and wanting to, um, you know, sometimes maybe put in the front that they're particularly hypermobile dancers. That's something that uh, I think drawing more people into the school thinking, well, come here and you're going to mm-hmm. become more flexible because that's what most of us as dancers are, are wanting is as much flexibility as possible. So, yeah, it's true. So what have your dancers been experiencing um, in their medical care regarding their hypermobility? So um, on, the, on the good side of it, the best case scenario, um, there have been some of my dancers who have found doctors who are really open to learning about this. Um, I, as a non-medical practitioner, you know, as a, as a fitness professional who does not practice or treat or diagnose or any of that, um, I will carry the current criteria for um, hypermobility EDS with me in my packet of information. And if I see a dancer that I think may fit somewhere in there, I'd say, hey, take a look at this, read through it, talk amongst yourselves, make an appointment with your doctor, perhaps, and talk to them about it and see what you think if this might be something that is worth researching more. So I've had dancers who have done that and they've had some wonderful doctors who have said, I don't know, but let's find out. And then the doctor has really gotten down to business and looked into it. And I have one dancer who is completely symptom free, but was diagnosed with hypermobility EDS based on me encouraging her to go and the doctor being willing to look at it. Um, and he promptly sent her to an ophthalmologist and a cardiologist, even though she had no issues, because he said, I want to check these things, and I just want to make sure that we've got a baseline. And then he said, now we put them in our pocket. We don't have to worry about it again until something comes up, right? Um, I love those doctors, because they don't <laughs> panic. They don't issue a ton of tests that aren't necessary, but they say, okay, let's learn about it. Let's find out what we need to find out. We can go from there. And then I have great doctors like you. Um, I have great doctors like you that can work with people and you weren't around five, 10, 15 years ago, you know, like your practice, people like you are just now coming out in the past five years or so. So it's been really helpful to have people like you to refer out to that specialize in it. And so some of my dancers have somebody who is taking charge of it and is creating that umbrella and saying, I'm going to send you here for this and here for this. We're going to keep an eye on it. Let's check in every six months. Let's talk about your vitamins. Let's talk about your eyes. Let's talk about all of it. Um, So I've had some really wonderful experiences for that. Um, The other side is dancers who have doctors that don't really understand it or aren't willing to listen when the dancers give feedback and say that hurts or my body feels different when you do that than you expect it to feel. Um, They've been pushed into surgery when surgery is not, for me, is not always the first option for hypermobile dancers because it's so complicated how they recover and the issues that they'll have long-term because of it. Um, And that surgery may not fix their issue. So 
some of the dancers have gone to a doctor who's been like, oh, you've got X, Y, and Z. So the answer is A, B, and C. That's what we should do. And they have not had those issues fixed. Um, They've had doctors who say, you're exaggerating it. That pain can't be real. Um, There's no way you hurt all the time, you know, and just kind of dismiss it or say, oh, you're just being dramatic with the fainting. Um, I had a dancer come to me when she was 16, 15 and a half, somewhere around there. And she had such an obvious case of uh, EDS and POTS. And it took her Mm. about a year to find doctors who would listen to her and give her a diagnosis. Um, And up until then, she was having so many injuries and she couldn't stay in dance class. And the dance teacher was pushing her to do her rehearsals and do her run throughs. And she was like, I'm fainting. And the teacher was like, you need to go do more cardio. You just need to jog more. You know, oh, and, wow. and, and she hit the point where she couldn't dance and she had to retire from dancing at age 17. And now she's just trying to manage her health. But if she had had that intervention sooner, um, right. she would have, you know, she would have had a different story to tell about those precious years in life. So I see kind of the whole spectrum with doctors, but I am cautiously optimistic that it's becoming more mainstream and that more people are talking about it and dancers can find the help that they need. Definitely. And that, that will be better for more people to have more of an awareness. And so people don't have to travel as far at the same time. Like you said, we are able to do more via telemedicine now. So that's right. So that's a, that's a really, um, that's a nice benefit that we have been acquiring over, over time. So, Um, and in terms of longevity for dancers, that's an extremely important thing. Um, What do you think are the most important things for dancers to have as much longevity as possible? Um, I think the biggest thing is to keep your eye on the big picture. My dancers mm-hmm. that do the best are the ones who don't say, I have to do this nutcracker or I have to do mm-hmm. this YAGP. And they realize I, I want to dance five years from now and not just next month. And so I may need to sit out for two months in order to guarantee that I'm still dancing when I'm 30. Um, so having that eye on the big picture is so important And going along with that is pacing yourself. Like we talked about earlier, being able to read your body and to turn that superpower for reading externals, turn it internally and say, I may need to ease back a little bit. I may need to change my diet a little bit. I'm feeling tired doing the same things I used to be doing and not feeling tired. So I may need to get some blood work done. I may need to consult a nutritionist. Um, How can I make sure that I'm ready for Nutcracker now in September, what can I do in September to get ready to do what I know I'm going to have to do in there in the December. So knowing how to pace yourself is important. Um, continue to cross train regularly. This isn't just a plug for working with me. Find, find <laughs> someone, right? But cross training, especially for hypermobile people is so important because continuing to challenge your body is the big key for hypermobile dancers. I am constantly trying to invent new exercises just as a way to make their body go, oh, 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 okay, let's try that. Um, and it's the same. I just want them to do a tondu, but I can't get them to do it correctly. So we try this and we try that. And so cross training is something other than dance that will surprise your body and challenge it in a different way. So continue to cross train regularly and continue to have privates um, as long as you can. I know there's a financial aspect to that, but ballet privates. Um, Moira McCormick talked to us about how they have technique coaches that will do one-on-one work with the Royal Ballet dancers to fix little tiny small things 
And that's one of the things that I have to do with my dancers is go into the ballet studio and fix their tendus or fix their plies. Not that their dance teachers aren't good, but it's such small adjustments that they've been making that the teacher's not catching it with 20 other students or 30 other company members. So taking ballet privates is going to continue to keep you healthy, along with taking cross-training privates, not just doing the cross-training videos all the time, but having someone physically look at you and say, hey, you're doing that wrong, you're cheating, let's fix that Jenga board and let's go back and, and do it correctly. Or I noticed that you're doing this, let's not do these exercises and let's focus on this instead. So having a person give you that feedback um, is gonna help you not get overuse injuries, not um, miss big holes in your body that, that, that you're gonna have to work on later once you get injured. Uh, and then finally, make sure you have a support system. So have your friends to talk to, have a doctor um, on speed dial that understands you and understands the issues and can refer out to the right people so that you're going to a specialist that also understands these issues. And um, don't be afraid to talk about it. Don't be afraid to get a counselor or a nutritionist or whatever you need because there's a whole team that wants to be your pit crew and wants to keep you on the road and running as many laps as you can. Awesome. And I know I've done some of your exercises and I love the creativity that you do because it makes all the difference in the world to really feel the things that you're trying to get people to feel. I think that that completely changing up the way you're doing the motion really makes a big difference with that. Yeah, it does. It does. And so that's important to keep challenging your body. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And speaking of challenging your body, are there... Um, Hypermobile dancers that you have ever told, like especially young ones that you probably, that they probably shouldn't dance? You know, I never have, and I never will <laughs> because that's not a decision that I feel like I can make. Um, at the very most, I think it's a decision that the parents can make if it's a younger dancer. Um, but I certainly am not ever going to tell a kid don't dance. Like you don't have the talent or you don't have the style or you don't have the technique or the body or whatever it is. If there's somebody who's very hypermobile and we're really struggling and going uphill, I will have regular conversations with their parents and say, I am seeing progression. If the teacher gives you feedback and saying, when's she going to be ready to do do drop? When's she going to be ready to compete in a competition? When's she just say, we are moving slowly. Um, her, her team is seeing improvement. And if the teacher wants to talk to me, I'm happy to talk to them. But as long as I'm seeing improvement, as long as I'm not seeing them stay 100% flat, I think that there's hope and I think that there is, there is the possibility for them to have that career. Now, most of my dancers who are, well, all of my dancers who are diagnosed with EDS, um, who are above the age of 16, uh, have gone on to drop out and not have careers in the professional ballet world. I have known some dancers in the professional world who had EDS, who have EDS, but I didn't know them as pre-professionals. So mm. as I see them in the pre-professional world, a lot of times they'll hit that senior year. And like the dancer I mentioned who had the POTS and the EDS and all, it's so much, it's so much work. Um, and even dancers who aren't on that extreme spectrum, I'll have dancers say to me their junior year, I just don't know if it's worth going through this much pain. My mm -hmm. back is always hurting this is always hurting. I'm constantly doing so much work just to tread water. I'm constantly going to PT and seeing you and taking my ballet privates and they may hit that wall and say, it's not worth it. Mm -hmm. 
And that's totally fine. It is right. totally fine to walk away at any point. It is also fine if you've got that fire in your heart to keep going as long as you can keep moving forward in a healthy way and feel like you are able to move forward with a healthy support team underneath you. So I will always support them until they're the ones that decide that it's too hard. Yeah. I love that. That's it, right. It's their decision. So that's, mm -hmm. that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, and, and what do you hear dancers uh, saying that they wish they could tell their younger selves? <laughs> you know, um, keep an eye on the big picture is by far the biggest one. Um, I wish that I hadn't stressed so much about this nutcracker casting. I wish I hadn't stressed so much about that summer intensive audition. I wish I hadn't forced myself to do this. Um, I hear so much of that, that I would say that is by far the biggest thing. Don't, don't worry about the little things. There will always be another thing. There will always be another thing. This is not it. And even during this time with the, with the quarantine going on, um, People are afraid, I'm never going to get a contract. I'm never going to get cast. You know, I'm like, everybody else feels the same way. Like that everybody mm -hmm. is in that boat. So unless all art on the earth ceases completely, <laughs> it's not going to happen. Okay. And we know art's never going to cease because it's part no. of us. So I would, I always say, keep your eye on the big picture. And that's what all my dancers will say back to me. And then stay healthy. Definitely 100% stay healthy. They have all of my older dancers have said, I wish that I told my younger self not to fuel myself with Cool Ranch Doritos. Like, it's fine to eat them, but do you want your entire body to be made out of them, right? <laughs> and I'm nothing against Doritos, Cool Ranch Doritos, right? Anything that you pick. Dancers will obsess, and they'll eat the same 10 foods. This day I eat this one food, and this day I eat this one, you know. And so right. encouraging them to fuel in a healthy way, in a healthy spectrum of foods. Get help if you need to get help um, with a nutritionist, but fuel yourself well, train smart, and lean on your support system. Those three things to, do, to, to stay healthy. Healthy fueling, smart training, and lean on your support system. That's what they all say they wish they had done. Okay. Okay. And speaking of quarantine, um, how are your dancers handling this very challenging and interesting time? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, all of my dancers are having a hard time with it emotionally because of all this uncertainty, right? Um, there's that sense of I'm never going to dance again. I'm never going to perform again. Um, should I even try to stay in shape? What's the point of trying to stay in shape? So running that gamut of emotions, some of my dancers are seeking out counselors to talk to, which I think is excellent, just to help them process this um, and to acknowledge that this is a really difficult time. And I keep telling my dancers, this, this is something that hasn't happened you know, in our lifetime. And so to think that you should just be able to suck it up and keep moving is crazy. So it's really okay to try to process this and to say, I don't know what's going to happen over the summer. I don't know what's going to happen over the fall. I don't know if I'm going to get an opportunity to audition for a company. I don't know if my contract's going to be offered again because my company may not be around again. Um, living with that uncertainty is, is really key. And the ones who are getting through this the best are learning to control what they can, control their environment as best they can, give themselves a healthy space to dance in and do their dance classes and stay healthy and in shape, fuel themselves well 
stay mentally healthy with support group, with friends, whatever it takes that they need, and then let go of the things that they can't and just say, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I know what I can do right now. And that's what I'm going to do. They're training virtually online. They're continuing their privates with me. They're continuing with their schools and my smart hypermobiles will stop doing some of the center work if they don't have a perfect floor for it because they know it bothers their back or their knees or whatever. And so they're continuing to be smart about that. Um, they know that the quarantine will absolutely shape them, but it's not going to define them. And I think that's what we need to remember. The quarantine is going to shape us as a society, but it doesn't have to define you as a person. And it doesn't have to define you as a dancer. Right, right. I love that. That's a, fab, that's a fabulous way to think of it. And um, is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you would like to let us know about? And also, can you let people know where they can find you and learn more about sure. the amazing work that you're doing? <laughs> I feel like we talked about a lot. So um, there's always something else I can talk about because I love talking about this. But um, you can find me at Jennifer with two N's, Jennifer period Milner. I'm like Mary, I-L-N-E-R, on uh, Instagram. And on Facebook, it's Jennifer Milner Bodies in Motion. And you can find my website at either Jennifer-Milner or Bodies in-Motion. They both point to me. Um, and I'm happy to answer questions and I'm happy to talk with people. I do live streams on my Instagram page um, and do obviously virtual privates right now. So, <laughs> But I love answering questions and helping people connect with the people that they need to work with if I'm not the right one to help you. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much. It was so great to get this wonderful information into the hands of dance teachers, dancers, dance parents. Um, they will learn so much from your incredible knowledge base and the breadth of experience that you have working with so many different dancers. So really appreciate your taking the time to chat with me today. Oh, thank you. It was fun to chat with you. <laughs> flip it, flip in the tables. I love it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, thank you. And we'll catch you next time on Bendy Bodies yeah. with the Hypermobility MD. Yep. And Jennifer Milner today. So, okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Bendy Bodies podcast. Please visit our website, www.bendybodies.org, for more information and to access the show notes. If you are enjoying this podcast, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. For a limited time, you could win an autographed copy of the popular textbook, Disjointed, Navigating the Diagnosis and Management of Hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and Hypermobility Spectrum Disorders just by giving us a shout out on Instagram or Facebook and tagging at Bendy Bodies Podcast. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the co-hosts and their guests. They do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. The thoughts and opinions do not constitute medical advice and should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. We'll catch you next time on the Bendy Bodies Podcast. This episode of the Bendy Bodies Podcast was brought to you by Bauerfine Premium Braces and Supports, designed to provide joint stability and pain relief.